together this morning. Say it like you mean it. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray this morning. Lord, we welcome you here. We acknowledge that you're here, King of Kings. And Holy Spirit, I pray you speak to us this morning. As we allow you to speak, I pray, God, it would come in and infiltrate our hearts, God, and would produce change. I pray for our pastor this morning, that you'd fill him with power on the inside, God. I pray your spirit be with him this morning and lift him up and give him strength to deliver this word, Lord. Anoint him, Father God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brother Zach. Good to see everybody here. You may be seated this morning. What a wonderful move of the spirit that we have felt during our worship time. Could you just lift your hand one more time and give God praise? Just tell the Lord that you love him this morning. Just tell him that you adore him today. Hasn't these holidays been a wonderful time of reflection upon the birth of our Savior? And every time you think of the birth of this Savior, you also think of the crucifixion of what he done for us. Thank God for the living Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, look with me to the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. I'll try not to keep you long today, but I do have a challenge before us, something that's deeply in my heart, something that I've been wrestling with in my own personal life, something that I've been trying to dedicate to the glory of the Lord again. And, you know, and disciplines are hard. How many knows that? Disciplines are very difficult. And when God begins to challenge you, then you have to obey him. And what I want to do here, I just want to set a precedence of what I feel like the Lord wants us to do for starting off in the month of January. Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 1 and 2. If you'd stand for the reading of the word, I'm sorry to have you up and down, but I just feel like we need to honor him today. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Brother Bob Fisher, would you please play over the word of God this morning? behalf of our family, we want to thank each and every one of you that have reached out to us during the time of the loss of my sister-in-law. Uh, we want to thank you for all of your support that you've given, the ch given us as a church. 
My wife is not able to be with us this morning, and she wanted me to tell the people how much she appreciated all of the comfort and all the reaching out to her. She's with my mother who is sick with a high fever and last night up and down all night, and so we're just praying that the Lord will touch her and heal her. But I want us to focus here this morning just a little bit on verse 2. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they had ended he was hungry. I got to thinking about that passage of scripture, of course, when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the devil to be tempted, and he was tried there. One commentator, the book of Mark, I think it is, it says that he was driven by the Spirit. You know, and a lot of times people say, well, that's a contradictive of scripture. No, that's the interpretation of different people who wrote it and how that one seen it versus how the other seen it. And we see that no doubt about it, Jesus was tempted of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that temptation, the Bible says that he ate nothing. For 40 solid days, all he done was drink water. I don't even know that he had had water at that particular time. But for 40 solid days, and then verse two says, and after the temptation, and after the fasting, he was hungered. I want to tell you, that's kind of a, a, a weird statement to me because I would have been hungry the very first day. Can I have an amen? But afterward, he was hungered. No wonder that he was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days without food. And you and I would have been hungry as well. But a few weeks ago, I preached on fasting and how that I believe that it represents the threefold cord that cannot easily be broken. And matter of fact, I also believe that when fasting is added to the biblical principles of giving and praying that the results will be a hundredfold instead of a sixtyfold or thirtyfold return. I mentioned all of that. In Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount of the Beatitudes, we hear in verse 1 through 4 what he says, when you give. And then in verses 5 through 8, when you pray. And then in verses 16 through 18, when you fast. He didn't say that you might do it or you could do it or it's an option or it's a request or, you know, no, 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 no. I want to tell you something, folks. You and I have no choice if we're going to be Christians and be all that God wants us to be. You and I are going to have to learn how to give, how to pray, and how to fast. It's not an option. It is a command. It's something that Jesus put in there, not that he would make us have a lot of labor or hardship, but it's there to protect our own lives because it is giving, it is through that giving and praying and fasting that we develop a threefold threefold cord that cannot easily be broken. It is that that gives us strength and gives us the ability to do the things that God wants us to do. The practice of fasting is crucial for the life of every believer. As a matter of fact, most of us give and pray on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, we should pray and we should give on a regular basis. We put a lot of emphasis on praying. We put a lot of emphasis on giving, but really, in reality, very few people in the body of Christ, they say, in a survey, actually fast on a regular basis. They do not fast in the same measure and in the same way that they give or that the way that they pray. There are some things simply that will never change unless we fast. 
I'm just telling you that it'll always be the same way that it is now if we do not learn how to fast. Because supernatural occurrences and supernatural interventions only happen in some respects in the area of fasting. And can I tell you, there are some things that will simply never be removed if we don't fast. So much of the time we want to see change. So much of the time we want to see, and we always say, where's God? Where's God? Well, sometimes I believe God's saying, where's the people? Where's the people in their fasting? Where's the people in their hunger and thirst for me? And the truth of the matter is some things will never happen outside of the believer exercising the principle and the discipline. I always want to call it a discipline because it truly is a discipline of fasting. Jesus said in Matthew 17, 21, in reference to a demon-possessed boy that he had cast the demon out of, and the disciples could not cast the demon out, and Jesus says, this kind goeth out by much prayer and much fasting. Did you know that, that, that what Jesus was saying was to his disciples, you cannot cast the demon out because you've not been praying and fasting enough. That's what he had told them. The disciples were weak in their prayer and in their fasting, and as a result of it, there was not victory in the life of a young man that God desired to have victory in. How much of the time is there God wanting to have victory in the church, having victory in all of our lives, making things shift and move and change, but it's not happening because the body, the church, is not fasting the way that God wants the church to fast. I want to tell you this is a very serious sermon here this morning. It used to be a regular or normal practice for the early church to fast. When you read throughout the book of Acts, and I'm not going to have time to go over all of those different types of scriptures, but you hear them fasting all of the time. When I was a young boy, I can honestly tell you the truth, and I've repented of it myself, is that I used to fast more than I do now. I still fast. I still have times where I pull away and I, 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 I do those things, but not near to the magnitude of when I was younger. When I was younger, every week I fasted all my life. I fasted every Tuesday of my whole life, not counting special fast or that happened regularly where we go on seven-day fast and 19-day fast and 21-day fast. There was we were fasting all the time over something. And there were things that miraculously happened in the earlier years of my ministry, and I was looking back at it and I said, God, there's still miraculously things happening, but it just seems like it's not to the magnitude of the power that it once had. And the Lord began to deal with me and said, revisit your fasting. So your pastor is revisiting his fasting and going back to a time of more regular, habitual time of fasting before the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe to a certain extent that in the earlier disciples, in the earlier church, that it was easier to fast back then than it is now. Some of you are saying, well, what in the world are you talking about? I want to tell you, I think it was easier for those in the book of Acts to fast than it is for the 21st century church. And you say, why? It's because they were not filled with all of the pollutions and the indulgence of food like you and I have. Matter of fact, folks, they did not have the food. They didn't have the resources to food. They had to manage their food. They didn't have the accessibility to food like you and I. You and I nowadays, we can just go to the refrigerator anytime we want.
want and open it up and there's boom, whatever we want. We make sure we buy all of our little little Debbies. Oh, dear Lord, them things are good. I'm getting hungry now. And, you know, we buy our little things and put our little cupcakes up and you got freezers and you got microwaves and you got all this stuff. And at your exposal, you can open up your Colbert's and we've always got food there at our house. That wasn't the way it was in those earlier days. They didn't have the refrigerator. And, you know, I want to ask you a real question. I'm going to be honest with you. Do we really realize how much the food has power over our lives? Are we really paying attention to what it's doing? Because even I myself has lo- have lost that sight for a while, and the Holy Spirit's beginning to bring it back to me. But they did not have the accessibility of their food. There was not a McDonald's on every street corner. There was not a Wendy's down the road. There wasn't a number that you could punch in, and 15 minutes later, boom, a pizza's being delivered at your door. They did not have that. And you know what? There was no sweets and candies and you know, uh, there was no donut houses and all of that stuff that filled our bodies with sugars and caffeine and those kinds of things. Not only that, the people back in those days worked a lot harder than we do. They walked miles to go to work. They got behind horses and plowed the field all day. And, and when they did it, come home, they wanted rest. And they, you know how that when you work and you're hot and you're sweaty, a lot of times you're not as hungry as a man that don't have that kind of a job. And they didn't eat the portions that you and I eat today. So I would say, yes, probably it was a little easier for them to fast than it is for us today. How many knows that it's a lot easier not to eat too much if it's not there and available for you? Can I have an amen? Oh, hallelujah. Come on, somebody help me preach. Food, you know, sets attitude and it also controls your emotions. Food deals with you, buddy. I want to tell you, if you don't believe me, just get a bunch of guys and go on a trip and say, hey, guys, everybody's hungry. You ready to pull over? Yeah, well, we're just going to fast today. Watch the attitude of that, that, that car change just like that. Amen? Everybody that was up and happy is going to become grumpy and grippy. Come on now. I know people that if you're one minute late, they're not going to have enough respects to wait on you. I've done it myself to my family. How many times have we allowed the cravings of food develop in us attitudes, stirred emotions, all because it's all over food? You know, but you take that same guy that has that kind of a problem, put him on a regular time of regular habitual fasting, and then if he comes over one day and you say, you know, we decided not to eat today, he'll not have that same emotion, nor will he have that same attitude. Why? Because of the fact that he has set in motion something in his body that has changed. Can I have an amen? Everybody following me. You know, you see, fasting means crucifying what I refer to as O King Stomach. Most of the time, just the thought of fasting, King's stomach will rumble in disagreement. And even though you just filled him with food, he's going to argue with you. At any time that you sit out to fast, it's very normal for you to begin to want to eat everything in sight. As a matter of fact, you'll eat things you don't even like. That's what's so strange. There will be natural cravings of the flesh and even bodily effects such as cramping and pains and even withdrawals from certain addictive substances such as the caffeine, the sugars, the salts, and those kinds of things when you fast. It gives you a headache at times, bodily weakness. But some of the breakthroughs that we desire to come, folks, that they'll not come to pass only, uh, they'll only come to pass only if we fast. Can I have an amen? 
We have to make up our mind to choose to dethrone the dictator within that robs of so many of the victories that God has for you and I in our lives. It has been said that the way to a man's heart is where? Through his stomach. Most of you women have come to know that. But you know what? We need to realize the devil knows that as well. Not only does women know it, the devil knows it. And to some of us, the stomach is known as the bottomless pit. Amen? And we need to consider just for a moment of what has happened to the human race while under the rule of what we call King's stomach. Now, I just want to expose just a little bit in this sermon this morning the power and the influence of food. We're always talking about sex being a problem, drugs being a problem, you know, um, uh, alcohol being a problem. And, but have we ever thought about food being a problem? Isn't it easy how we can justify ourselves? A man that every once in a while, just, you know, I like my beer. I think I'm gonna go to the refrigerator and get me a beer. We'll just rag him out. Well, it's getting quiet. He'll pull that beer out and he'll take him a beer and the church world comes unglued, judges him, beats him up, tells him how bad he is and all that stuff. But at midnight when we're hungry, we'll go to the refrigerator and pull out a stack of bologna that thick with a bunch of bread and cheese and chips and a soda and we'll eat it and that's okay. Come on. We're hypocrites. Look at somebody and say, we are hypocrites. It's odd how that we'll pick on all the people that have different kinds of problems, but we'll not deal with the issue of our own problem called the indulgence of food. We're guilty. United States is the number one nation of people overweight. Why? Because we're undisciplined. That's the simple truth. I think I'll close now and go home. <laughs> I feel weight in this place. You know why there's weight in this place? Because there's people that eat. Amen? We're a weighty people. And the church has become a weighty people of the flesh, but we have not become weighty people of the spirit. God help us. I don't know why the Lord is dealing with me so heavily in my own life, but I know that great things are to come even for me in my own health because God has set a course of beginning to get my pattern straight as a pastor in the area of going back and doing some serious, hard disciplines of fasting and prayer. And God then, is whatever the leader is being called to, you can guarantee the church is being called to it as well. It has been said that the way to the man's heart is through his stomach. And to some of us, the stomach is known as, I said, that bottomless pit. I just want us to look at this influence of thing called food. Look back to the Garden of Eden. The Bible records in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, verse 16 and 17, it says, verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man in whom he formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to its sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat of, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eat of it thou shalt surely die. 
Now, God had made a command that was very obvious and straightforward. He told him what he could and could not eat. But the serpent was cunning and crafty and deceived Eve. And God had commanded man to refrain from this one certain food. He said, you got all these trees, they're good for food. There's nuts, there's fruits, there's berries. There's all this stuff to your liking, but this one tree of the knowledge of good and evil you're not to eat of. That is kind of a form of fasting that he had to cut that off. And God said, that's something that is forbidden. And the devil convinced Eve that she should eat from the forbidden tree and assuring her that she would not die. And the Bible says in Genesis 3 and 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she took of the fruit and ate thereof, and she gave to her husband also. Do we really realize, now listen to this. This is what really convicted me. And I, you know, we read through scripture and we don't think of it in certain ways, but God just kind of hammered this to me. Do we really realize that with one meal, Adam and Eve immediately went from peacefully enjoying God's presence in the cool of the day in that garden to fearfully hiding in his presence among the trees in the midst of the garden. Can you imagine that? By eating one meal, they sacrificed their peaceful fellowship and became ashamed and hid themselves with fig leaves and hid, clothed themselves with fig leaves and hid themselves behind the bush, hiding from the presence of God. Why did they do it? Because they broke some kind of commandment. They went down and got some drugs on the corner. On the corner. No, it wasn't about drugs. It wasn't about a marital fight that got them in trouble. Hello? It wasn't because of alcohol that they had moonshine going on in the garden. What was it that got Adam and Eve in trouble? Food. Their actual content of food separated them from the presence of the Lord. They li- I like what one commentator says. He said, they literally ate themselves out of house and home. They ate themselves out of the will of God for their lives. They ate themselves out of God's provision and plan for their lives and out of his magnificent presence. As a matter of fact, the very paradise that God made just for them, he had to kick them out as a result of what they'd done because he did not want them to partake of the tree of life and live in a sinful state forever. And then, therefore, that tells me that if we're not careful, the lack of fasting sometimes can cause us to be removed from the place of blessing. Hello? If it removed Adam and Eve, can it not remove us as well? Are we paying attention to what is happening to us in this overindulgent world that we live in with all of the food that's at disposal in our hands? Are we even studying anything in scripture about food because we think that is one of the most least important topics that there is and yet really when you look at it, even though Adam and Eve's stomachs were temporarily satisfied, yet you and I still suffer the consequences of their appetites and actions today. Do you realize that the first rebellion ever recorded in scripture involved food? Have you ever thought of it this way, that the sin that affected the whole human race was because of the appetite for food by human beings? Can you imagine that? You and I die today. You and I deal with this thing of the, of called sin today as a result of a man and woman eating of a fruit. How serious then it's what they done back then compared to what you and I are doing to our bodies today. 
when speaking of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, what is it the first thing that you think about? If I said, what's the main sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, what are you going to tell me? Somebody say it. There we go, homosexuality. Because it was different there. And when you hear sermons preached about Sodom and Gomorrah, what do you hear preached? About the abomination of homosexuality. And yet when you look into Scripture, that's not all what the Bible teaches about Sodom's sin. Look at what the Lord said to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 16, starting with verse 49. He says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Go study that scripture. Look it up in the actual Hebrew. Look up at what it's actually saying. You know what it's saying? The first thing that we have to notice is that there was no giving. There wasn't any giving. You know why? Because the poor and the needy had suffered and they were neglected by the sin of lack of giving to the poor and the needy by that rich city, Sodom and Gomorrah. There was no praying because they were lifted up in pride and in idleness. So we have the sin of no giving, We have the sin of no praying. But isn't it interesting to note that the inhabitants of those cities were not only guilty of homosexuality, but according to the account of Genesis in this passage, when it says the fullness of food, it has with it the connotation of gluttony, that they had no fasting. There was your sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. No giving, no praying, no fasting, which is not the threefold cord. And what happened? It ended them up being partaking of the abominable thing called homosexuality. Can I tell you, the abominations of sin don't just come into a church without, first of all, the spiritual hedges of that church being broke down. Wherever sin reigns, there is problems and there is broken hedges that we have allowed to be broken to where according to the book of Ecclesiastes that the serpent has come in and bit us as a result. There's no hedge. Amen? The reason why that the the Sodom had been turned over to a city that was rampant in homosexuality is because they did not learn the discipline of giving, they did not learn the discipline of praying, and they did not learn the discipline of what? Fasting, and as a result of it, they gave themselves over to the lust of their flesh, and it landed them in the pit of homosexuality, a behavior that's an abomination to God. Where are we headed as a result of the lack of our fasting? Along with their other sins, their excessive loyalty to King's stomach carried them right into that damnation, that horrible pit. They were given over to their appetites. You know what the book of Proverbs tells us? If a man is given over to his appetite, let him take a knife to his throat and cut it. Ooh, that's that's stout, isn't it? Psalms 3.19, Paul said, in the last days there will be false teachers. And in the last days their belly will be their God. That's what he says. In other words, you know what he's saying? It won't be King Jesus that rules their lives. It'll be King Stomach. And their lust will drive them and their belly will become their God. It isn't saying 
that, you know, necessarily that they're going to idolize their belly, but what it is saying is it'll no longer be King Jesus giving commands. The commands and the way and the behaviors in which they live will be a direct result of the lust within that is controlled by the appetite that's created by food. And that will be king of their life. That they'll not be able to hear the spiritual king because the carnal king, the carnal man is in charge. Because they've never learned how to weaken him or kill him or crucify him. Another brilliant example of one whom King's stomach was high and lifted up was Esau. We all know the son. He was the son of Isaac and Rebekah. As was the custom, Esau was endowed with a special birthright from the firstborn male child. That birth brought with it the father's special blessings and certain privileges, including an inheritance. We all know that. It automatically ensured that Esau would receive a double portion of his father's estate when his father died. That was the blessing of the firstborn son. And it was a blessing from God, and it was not to be taken lightly. And Esau was a hunter, and his father delighted in him because he loved him bringing in his Vincent soup, and Esau had become Jacob's favorite. I mean, uh, Isaac's favorite. And but when Esau returned from the field one day, he was very hungry, was he not? And the Bible said that he had had no luck in killing anything. And the Bible says that he was hungry. And you know the story of his brother Jacob. Let me just get off my notes here just a little bit. His brother Jacob was making some bean soup. Red lentils is what it literally says in scripture, which means a red bean soup. And he comes in and he's starving. Now guys, he hadn't eaten 24 hours, so boy, he's really about to die, isn't he? It's serious. He ain't eating 24 hours or 18 hours or what. And oh, he's, he's over-exaggerated his hunger. How many of you and I exaggerate our hunger? I'm being honest with you right now. Put a little bit of peanut butter on that chair and I think I could eat it. <laughs> Just talking about fasting already sets in motion a lot of emotions in my life. Talking about it right now, some of you are saying, oh man, he's gonna pass, maybe if we can get past this season, we'll be okay. We gotta not look at it as a season. We gotta look at it as a discipline that we're gonna have to learn how on a regular basis to keep this thing called fasting going on. Our problem is we make it seasonal. We start out the first year, we're gonna first, and this is what we're gonna do, we're gonna fast the first 21 days of January, I'm gonna leave the fast up to you on how to do it. Some of you can do the Daniel fast. Some of you do whole meal fast. Some of you will be a whole day fast. Some of you will fast in different ways, but I want you to fast something every day for 21 days. Can you do that with me? Amen? But Esau comes in and he's hungry. Give me some soup. I'm not gonna give you no soup. A stingy brother that has an ulterior motive. Something behind it. And I want to tell you, folks, every time and when you become vulnerable in the areas of this thing called the lust that Esau's dealing with of hunger, that is your most vulnerable point. Watch out what's offered to you in the spirit realm. Be very careful. And Esau said, come on, brother, give me something to eat. He said, the only way I'm going to give you something to eat is sell me your birthright. So Esau ends up selling his birthright for a measly bowl of bean soup because he was hungry. 
Now, folks, can you imagine that God had all these wonderful dreams, had all these wonderful plans, had all this wonderful things set up for Esau, and they were all voided out because of one moment of lustful appetite. And after it was given away, it could not be ever given back because Jacob possessed the birthright. I'm here to tell you today that the power and the influence of food controls us more than what you and I can ever even imagine or what you and I can ever even think. We have to realize that God has a plan for us just like he does Esau, but a lot of times we'll never even come to the acknowledgement of that plan or understand that plan because we do not have enough spiritual insight and sensitivity to discern it because we are driven by the flesh and the old man is very much alive because we've never took the time to crucify him through fasting. Amen? The writer of Hebrews used strong terms to warn us against us as believers of becoming like Esau. Listen to what he says. Hebrews 12, verse 15 through 17. Lest anyone you fall short of the grace of God. How are we going to fall short of the grace of God? Lest there be any of you fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food served, sold his birthright. Did you hear what God called him as a result of what he done? A fornicator. Have you ever thought of that? You can become a fornicator by not giving up food? That's what this says. For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance though he sought it diligently with tears. That's some strong things, isn't it? Let's go on. We see that here that simple indulgence of food robbed Esau of his destiny. He was robbed of his blessing, of his inheritance, of his double portion. Do you think that that cannot happen to us in the same sense in the spirit world? Of course it can. Another example is when God delivered the Israelites after 400 years of imprisonment and slavery in Egypt. Millions of Israelites, along with a mixed multitude of others, were miraculously led through the Red Sea onto the way to the promised land. Now watch. God provided everything they ever needed, did they not? The journey was always... Everything that they needed on the journey was provided. He fed them every day with bread from heaven. It was called heavenly manna. How many of you like to have some of that? You think you would, but these people thought they would too, but they could begin to gripe about it. This manna provided such a perfectly balanced diet that there was not one sick, one feeble person among them for 40 years with no doctors, no drugstores, no hospitals. Everybody was in perfect health because they ate what God gave them. It was manna from heaven. It filled their bellies. It kept their bodies healthy and strong. However, the mixed multitude who were among them, part of the Egyptians, yielded to the intense cravings. This rubbed off on the children of Israel, and they once again began to cry. Listen to what they say in Numbers chapter 11, verse 4 through 7. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely at Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our whole bean is dried up. Now they're gripping about how their whole beans dried up. They're, what are they doing? They're being lied to. They're strong. They're healthy. But not to them. They begin to over-exaggerate. No, 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 no. Our whole bean is dried up. There's nothing except that manna that falls from the sky before our eyes. In other words, they're grappling and saying, I am so sick of this manna. 
I'd rather have the fleshly food than the spiritual food that God's providing. God heard their murmuring and complaining over the food and their unsatisfied appetites. And I want to tell you, if there's anything that you got to realize, and that it's not a good idea to get the cook mad at you. Amen? God's the one supplying the manna, and God gets upset. It's not a good idea to get the cook mad at you. Because look what verse 18 and 20 says of that same chapter. The Lord will give you meat, he says, and you shall eat. Oh, they're saying, man, we put God in a corner, and when we're not long longer going to get just manna, he's going to give us something else. And he said, oh, you shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor 10 days, nor 20 days, but you're going to eat for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and it becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord. And he sent them quail in such a great abundance they stacked it two and a half feet deep and they ate and they ate and they ate while their meat was in their mouths. Thousands of them died and where they were buried there. Wow. One of the greatest acts of judgment, one of the number one cause of death in the Old Testament was, was people rejecting heavenly manna through a form of fasting to eat their own desires. Eat quail, have meat in their teeth. And according to verse 34, the Bible says, the place is called in a Hebrew name that means the graze of lusters as a memorial to those who have ate themselves right out of the promised land. They did not go into the promised land because they refused to allow themselves to fast and to trust God in their fasting for their health and their ability. It was the great commentary, Matthew Henry, that wrote, those who are under the power of a carnal mind will have their lust fulfilled, though it be to the certain damage and ruin of their own precious souls. I want you to understand that there are some promised lands and some promises that God has for each and every one of us. We have a book full of promises as the children of God. God has supernatural blessings to pour out upon us just like he did the Israelites in the wilderness. How many believe that? But the problem of it is, if we're not careful, we'll be just like them. They preferred their carnal appetites and cannot see the importance of the spiritual. And God wants to pour out the supernatural blessings upon us. But we must be able to have sensitivity and an understanding of what he wants. And that discernment can only come if we have the threefold cord intact. You and I are going to be able to have some of the greatest supernatural encounters in the 2020 that we have ever seen in our lives only if we learn how to set the old man aside at times, push away from the table, push away from the plate, put ourselves into giving and praying and, and fasting, and God will reward our fast. And the very things that God has for us, he'll give to us. Can you say amen? Would you stand with me today? This thing, fasting's hard. Because you know what usually happens when I fast? This is, this is the truth. When I start a fast, the first thing that happens is that somebody will send me my favorite food. 
and there'll be layers of it. And I'll say, well, surely, you know, I don't want that to go to waste. Hello? Happens every time. I don't know what my wife thinks. Sometimes when I go to fast, I don't even tell her. And the Bible tells me that I should confer with my wife before I go into fast. And that's what you're supposed to do. And a wife's supposed to confer with her husband. Most of the time, some of the times, I don't know why I forget to tell her about it. And I'll go home and say, babe, and she'll say, you ready for supper? And I said, no, I'm fasting today. Well, you didn't tell me. I'll look over and there'll be my favorite cake. Why? It's, it's the strangest thing, is it not? And isn't it odd that there's always a banquet, a birthday party, uh, you know, a, a family reunion, a holiday, or something that'll always give us an excuse not to fast? Hello? Well, I, I better not. I'll wait till Wednesday to fast because Tuesday's Jedediah's birthday, and they're going to have cake and ice cream and all that, and surely I don't want to go over in front of those people and not eat. We'll make some of the most serious reasons, won't we? To justify it within ourselves. It's a birthday party. Well, you know what? We can still go to the birthday party and not eat. But it's harder when you're standing there sitting at the food. Yeah, the best thing to do is stay away from the stuff. But sometimes you can't stay away from it. It comes to you. Hello? I don't know what it is, but the Lord just wants me to really tell you that God is really wanting to do something in this church and we keep just circling and we just keep certain. We get at the threshold. We're right in the opening the door to it. We're there turning the corner. We're there. We feel it. We sense it. We, we know it. And it just seems like, and every time that we get that close, we grow and we grow and anticipation grows and the church grows. But to break over that crust never seems to be happening. And we've been doing this for years. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on? And the Lord just said to me, you got to go back to your times of regular. you got to teach the congregation and you too, Pastor have got to go back to your times of regular set times of giving, praying, and fasting. Fasting may be one of the most hardest things that you do, but I want to promise you this. I can't say that this is going to be true for everybody. Usually my fourth day of fasting is when it breaks and it becomes more easier. Them first three days, you might as well put a bullet to my head. It's tough. And I'm going to be honest with you. You got to be patient on your pastor. If I get up here and my mind isn't clear and I'm weak, I'm having caffeine withdrawals, salt withdrawals, sugar withdrawals, and I, I, my message ain't as clear as it should. Just understand, it's affecting my body. Amen. Be patient with me because on the fourth or fifth day, when it all settles down, it'll get easier. But the body will get more fatigued, more tired. And it seems like to me on the fourth day, it's pretty easy. The fifth day gets a little easier. The sixth day gets a little easier. On that seventh day, it's a vengeance again, all the way to the tenth day for some reason, for me. I've done it many, 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 many times. Then after that tenth day, on that eleventh day, it seems to get a little easier and get a little easier. And I think, I got it whipped. I've went all the way up to 19, 20 days before without any food whatsoever. Wouldn't even put a stick of gum in my mouth because it had sugar in it. Wouldn't put a mint Believe me, you want to stay away from me when I'm fasting. Only water. And you're dragging. And you're weak. But I want to tell you something. In the spirit, you're stronger than you've ever been in your life. Revelations come. 
just man, just man, God speaks to you. God begins to unfold his plans. God begins to give you faith and expectation and excitement and zeal and refreshment. Do you feel more encouraged? You're not, you're tired physically, but spiritually you're not tired. You're not worn out spiritually. For some reason there's a spiritual energy that undergirds you. Can I have an amen? I'm not suggesting that y'all take off and start fasting 19 days. That ain't what God is saying at all. You got to build up to those kinds of fasts. But I also know what it's like that when you give up the fast and you go back to eat, you almost feel guilty because you feel like you got this food thing whipped. Amen? It's almost a false sense of guilt. I don't need this. I, I remember one time I fasted 19 days and we were going home and the Lord and I was waiting for the Lord to tell me when, when it was over, I can take you to the spot on NN Highway. We were headed home on, the, on our way and all of a sudden I slammed on the brakes and started turning that car around and Jenny said, where are you going? I said, the Pizza Inn. She said, why? Is your fast lifted? I said, God just spoke to me and said, I can lift my fast. And I have been craving a pizza in pizza, and I don't know why. And when I got there, and I ate it, not because of them, but because of where I was at, that was the worst pizza I have ever ate in my life. It didn't satisfy. It didn't meet the hunger. It didn't meet the crave. It was all right here, like you just pointed at your head right here. I'm asking you to, would you go with a fast for me for 21 days in January? You know what the temptation was? Wait to the second because the first is a holiday and you're going to have all this food. And I refuse to allow that to rob the church of a blessing just because I want to push it up forward today because of the food content. And I'm asking you to just settle it in your mind what you will fast. Now some of you are on medication and you have to eat with that medication and I am telling you, unless God tells you not to eat, you don't do this. You find another area of fasting that you can do that will rob you of something of great enjoyment and that will cause you a lot of uh, uh, denial in your flesh. Because I want to tell you, it can be very dangerous to take certain foods without medication, uh, and certain medications without food. Amen? And so you'll have to go by the leading of the Lord on that. But how many is willing to go into fasting with me? Let's pray together. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray over this congregation. I pray, God, as they begin to adventure in this thing called fasting, do you not let them be overzealous and have a bad, bad uh, experience in fasting. Lord, just in these 21 days, let us be sensible, but you let us be serious about it. Let us come before you and ask you for you to lead us in that fast. And I pray, God, that everything that we do fast, that, Father, that you would be, it would be well-pleasing in your sight. I pray that we would, God, begin to somehow lose the effect and the influence and the power that food has over us to where we can become spiritual people where it is not King Stomach that rules us, but it's King Jesus that rules us. That the Spirit will have His way because we'll be more sensitive in the things of the Spirit than we will the things of the flesh. God, as strong as those physical urges and cravings are, I pray let that same kind of craving and urge be done in the Spirit realm with the Spirit. Let us become hungry and thirsty after the things of God 
Let us seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to us. Let us not just get in the threshold of blessing. Help us to break through and go through on the other side. Help us to do it, God, as we begin to discipline ourselves and obey you in fasting. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. God bless you. If you need any assistance in your time of fasting, let any of us know and we'll come together as a body supporting you, applauding you, and encouraging you to do what the Spirit of the Lord tells you. May the Lord bless you. Happy New Year. You're more than enough. You're my sacrifice of greatest pride. Still more